Well, good morning, and nice to be with you again. Um, I haven't asked my wife to do the reading, and I know better than to launch upon her unexpected. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'll do the reading from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. It's the second part of the passage we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're continuing the series in Matthew. And 16 verse 1 says this, The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show him a sign from heaven. And he replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. So I don't know whether you had wonderful sunsets like we did in Exeter on Thursday or Friday. And as I was leaving the office on Thursday, I felt like an old man with the old wives' tale. Red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. Well, if you thought that was an old wives' tale, it's even back in Bible times that they were saying exactly the same thing. I'm not quite sure what happened yesterday because beautiful sunset on Friday, rained all day at Twickenham yesterday, but there we are, that's another point. It says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? Well, Jesus was saying, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, the big whale, for three days, so he was going to be three days in the tomb. And he left them, and he went away. Then in verse 5, we're going to concentrate on this morning. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Oh, I love it. Even the disciples are forgetful. Ever on a journey, and you sort of forget things? I don't think I ever forget my food. I think that's one of the first things I pack. Many things I do forget. But, you know, they've forgotten something, and Jesus is going to do, take this visual illustration, what they've forgotten, and just to apply it. And he says, be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they discussed this among themselves and said, is it because we didn't bring any bread? And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking yourselves about having no bread? Do you not understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? So not only the disciples forgetful, but they're slow on the uptake as well. So if you feel a bit like that, don't worry, you're in good company. And Jesus has to say to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast, yeast in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And if you like a text for your sermon, then what we're going to have this morning is that text, be on your guard against the teaching of of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, if you haven't got a clue what their teaching is, we're just going to look briefly this morning about some lessons that we may want to avoid. I have a box at home. I call it my preaching box. And whenever I come across something which I find, which I read, which is quite interesting, I think one day might be quite useful, I put into this box. And a few months ago, I was reading an article in the newspaper, and there was a story there written about a guy called Chris Sargent, who's a PhD student at Cambridge, who'd been doing research into laws, silly laws, that are still on our statute books in this country. 
And being a lawyer, I was vaguely interested in it. And as I read it, I thought that might come in useful that one day. So I ripped it out and I put it in my preaching box. And I was thinking about that as we came to do this talk. You see, there are some very silly laws in this country. Be careful when you come to post a letter. Because, you know, it's an act of treason in this country to put a postage stamp bearing the monarch's head upside down on an envelope. So be very careful how you stick your stamp on. MPs, this is one back from the 1300s, are not allowed to wear armour in Parliament. I'm really tempted to become an MP, to wear armour, just to see if I get arrested. This other one, this is actually from the 1980s. It's illegal to import potatoes from Poland or to handle a salmon in suspicious circumstances. I'm not quite sure what that is, but when, he goes, you know, you know, when I go to Sainsbury's or Morrison's, I'm going to be careful. I pick the salmon up and put it in my bag. I don't think it means a bit of salmon, but the whole salmon. And the last one, it's an offence to be drunk in charge of a cow. There we are. Well, I'm sure none of you would be drunk anyway, so not just driving, but it's also an offence to be drunk in charge of a cow. Silly little laws. And if you think we're only in this country that we have silly laws, there are some as well that he goes on to pick out from foreign countries as well. In Vermont, in America, it is an offence for a wife to wear false teeth without her husband's permission. I'm not quite sure why any husband would want to say, no, wife, you cannot wear false teeth, but apparently that's it. And in Iowa, this is why Kevin is not going to go to Iowa, because what does it say about Iowa? It's illegal for a man with a moustache to kiss a woman in public. I tell you what, if I went to Iowa, I'd buy some extra razors, I think, there. Anyway, in Switzerland, apparently it's illegal to flush a toilet after 10 o'clock. I think some of us older men would struggle with that, but there we are. And also in Honolulu, Hawaii, it's illegal to sing loudly after sunset. I think my wife thinks it should be illegal for me to sing loudly anywhere at any time. But there we are, that's another thing. See, silly laws. Silly things that are on our statute book. And then lastly, in France, it's illegal to call a pig Napoleon. Coming back to the time, obviously, of Napoleon Bonaparte. Silly laws that are on our statute books. But you know, when I was thinking about that, because we think about the Pharisees, what do we first think that Jesus says about the Pharisees? Is that one of the things, and and they're a complicated bunch, there were probably about 6,000 Pharisees back at the time of Jesus. Uh, Most of them were sort of middle-class religious lawyers. Um, It's very simplistic that we're going to say this morning, because you know, some of them, I'm sure, were good men. You know, there were two different groups. There were the groups that followed Hillel's teaching, which were more liberal and harmonious, and the Shammai teaching were more strict and severe. But there were three things that I want to pick up on this morning about Jesus says that he need to be careful as disciples about the teaching of the Pharisees, which I think is still applicable for us today. And the first thing it says is that they added to the word of God with oral traditions and pedantic laws and interpretation. Now, if ever you go and see a lawyer, and I hope you don't have to go too often because, you know, we're not a very nice bunch sometimes, but you'll know that when he gives you some advice, that not only will he give you perhaps sometimes an act of parliament, say if you're talking about a right of way, it could be the Prescription Act of 1832, but he may also talk about judges' decisions. Because in lawyers speak, we have a situation whereby we have the law, but we then have to apply and interpret it. So the way in which judges do that then forms the basis for guidance and decisions in the future. 
And you know, this is exactly what the Pharisees were beginning to do. Because over the years, they'd added to God's law with oral traditions, decisions that had been made, which helped them to interpret Scripture. But the problem is that they then said that those things were equally as valid as Scripture itself. What do I mean about some of the things? Well, they had 39 different categories of work. They had some pedantic laws. I don't know whether any of you ladies looked in a mirror this morning as you were getting ready to come to church. I'm not sure us men spend quite so much time in front of the mirror. But you know it's one of the Pharisaical laws that you earn as a woman allowed to look into the mirror on the Sabbath. Why? Because you might see a hair at a place that you want to pluck. And apparently that wasn't allowed to do. Perhaps one more applicable to us as men. It was illegal under Pharisaical law to spit on the Sabbath. Because the problem is if you spit on the ground you could have rolled it with your foot. And that would have equated to plowing on the Sabbath. Silly and pedantic laws. It says in Deuteronomy about um, the journey of the Sabbath. And they came up with some exceptions. Aren't lawyers good at trying to find exceptions? So, you know, they came up with a rule that you could sort of join households together. So even though you might be physically apart, you could then journey from one to the other without technically leaving your own house. They came up with these silly ideas and silly rules, and they sought to interpret them and to apply them so that at the end of the day, the law which was given to protect and encourage our relationship with God and our love and our trust in him became a means and an end in itself. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I gave you. You see, Scripture is important. Scripture is our only basis for what we believe and practice. Now, yes, we have to apply it. But the sad thing is with the Pharisees, they made up, I won't say silly rules, because I'm sure they didn't think they were silly, but things that said they were equally as important as Scripture. Oh, do you know, I'll be careful what I say, but I've had some really silly things said to me about what you can do in church and what you can't do in church. Oh, I've said it before when I've been here with the kids and give them sweets. I was always taught, you must never eat sweets in church. And I used to say, I can't read it in the Bible. I know, but it's very important. If it's not in Scripture, do we give it the same importance and the same meaning as the Scripture? You see, the problem is if we do that, we could end up a bit like this. We went on holiday to North Wales at the end of September. And we went to, stopped in a, a car park. My wife likes her zenic viewpoints. And we stopped in a car park in Penny Pass. I don't know if any of you have been up in North Wales. It's very beautiful. But as my wife was taking pictures of the countryside around, I took a picture of this gate. If you ever look at this gate here, did anybody notice anything about that gate? You see, I think that's my sort of farmer's repair if I was a farmer. That old gate is broken. So all the guy has done, he's gone down to, I don't know, whether Mole Valley Farmers or whatever else, and he's bought a new gate. But instead of fixing it properly, all he's actually done is tied it to the other gate. Now, you see, I think a gate has got two purposes. First of all, a gate ought to keep things in when it's closed. Well, I think that probably works quite well as a gate. But the other thing a gate ought to do is to open and close in order that sheep, in this case, because they're all sheep in North Wales, can come in and go out. And if you ever look at that gate, there is no way that that gate can open because that blue bailer cord has meant that it's tied closed. And you see, the problem is that some of us, if only we adopt the law and the teaching of the Pharisees, it's a bit like that, that if Christianity is only a set of rules and regulations to comply with, we're a bit like that gate. It may add to our life, it might make us a bit more religious, 
But Christianity is not like that. Christianity, as we've already sung about, is becoming a new creation, about entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the problem is, is all we try and do is strap rules and regulations to our life. And as Christians, we can't do this and we can't do that, and we certainly can't do the other. Then at the end of the day, that's all that we're going to be like. We're not going to enter into the fullness of what God wants us to experience as Christians. Not only were Pharisees adding to God's law as well, but also the Pharisees were incredibly judgmental. The story is told in Luke chapter 8. You know the story of the Pharisee and the poor man who go into the synagogue. And the Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Ever been like that? You know, when I speak to people very often about what it means to become a Christian, so many people say to me, Phil, oh, thanks very much, you see, but I'm not as bad as those people down the road. Do you know what they're like? Do you know dysfunctional their family? And the problem is, at the end of the day, we judge people all too easy. Why shouldn't we judge people? Well, I've just put a few down, and I've put too many slides down for this, so my apologies. We're going to have to go quite quickly through these. But why shouldn't we judge? Because only God has the right to judge us. Only God has the right to judge us. I've put some biblical references up there as to what that is. That if we seek to apply any law, it can only be God. And the second thing is that when we judge people, sometimes we can end up judging people not against God's standard, but against our standard. I'm never quite sure about this, but you know, apparently if two women wear the same something to a party, it's bad news, particularly if one's a lot older than the other. To my mind, I think that must be a compliment, that it was such a nice jumper or such a nice, what a coat that you know, two or three men have bought it together. But I, I love this story that was coming from the BBC website. I don't know whether you saw it. Uh, it was on there a few weeks ago. This girl went to a, um, I think it was a, show, a horse riding, point-to-point race. And she had this green jacket on. I think it's a hunter jacket, something else like that. And she was photobombing. And if you don't know what photobombing is, don't worry. It's a young people's term. But she was getting herself in pictures of everybody else wearing the same jacket. And thought, it must be a good jacket. See how many people are wearing it. You see, the problem is that we're in danger of judging ourselves against other people instead of against God's rules. The third thing is, well, that when we judge, we need to be careful because sometimes we do not know the motives and the heart of what is in somebody's life or what they are actually facing. We should not be judgmental. Always remember when my uncle Harold, bless his dear socks, when he was young, he worked on a farm. And after he did the milking on a Sunday morning, he used to run just over three miles to get to church in order that he could be there for the communion service. And when somebody sat there next to him, they said to him, Harold, how dare you come to church dressed like that? I suggest you don't come again until you know how to dress properly. And poor old Uncle Harold had milked the cows, run three miles just to get there to that service. And at the end of the day... All he faced was criticism by those around him. He had a heart that was seeking to be obedient, seeking to share in the fellowship around the table. We don't know what people's motives are or what situations they're facing. And then the next one as well, that sometimes that when we judge people, it can reflect back on us as well. My granny always used to say, be careful that when you point a finger, you've always got three fingers, because excluding the thumb, pointing back. At you. 
Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same method you use, it will be measured to you. Romans 2, verses 1 to 3, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pay pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So that when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Why else should we not judge? Time's going on, but go through those a bit quickly. But also, people can change. People can change. I love that little bit in Matthew, sorry, Hebrews chapter 11. They call this the great chapter of the people of faith. And when you read through that, you get to that verse 31, and it says this, By faith, the prostitute Rahab. You see, the Bible is never afraid of what people used to be. Some of us have a past we are glad that nobody knows anything about. But the Bible is never afraid from us. Because at the end of the day, God is interested in what we become. People change. And these Pharisees were forever condemning people without giving them the possibility that they could change. And then lastly, sometimes you know we can be very Pharisaical in our own churches as well, and we judge people. And one of the reasons we shouldn't do that is because we are family. We are connected together. We are working together. We are sought to being built up in the things of God. A very sad quote I read a while back from Julian Lennon, who said this, My father was a hypocrite. He could talk about peace and love out loud to the world, but he could not show it to those people who supposedly meant most to him, his wife and son. Are we like that? Just like the Pharisees, Jesus says they are judgmental people. And as Christians, we shouldn't be like that. We have a little sticker on our fridge at home. Well, it used to be, and we've got a different fridge now with the wooden doors. We can't stick things on it, but it's gone onto the notice board. It says this, those who have been forgiven must be forgiving. Those who have been forgiven must be forgiving. And the Pharisees just loved to judge people. What else did they do as well? Well, Scripture also tells us that the Pharisees not only judged people, not only did they add to Scripture as well, but a lot of what they did was only for show. It was only for show. John 12, verse 43, the Pharisees love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And contrast that with 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. I wonder if you're like that. I've had an interesting week this week. My wife has been away for about three or four days up in Bath with our youngest daughter, having a little bit of a break. Oh, I've loved it, I tell you what. I've come home from work. I've watched what I wanted to on the telly. I've left the dirty dishes around the place. I didn't pick up my dirty washing off the floor. I ate chocolate and more chocolate for tea without somebody telling me to be healthy. But I realized that yesterday, before I went off to Twickenham, I had to do something about it. And I got up extra specially early yesterday, and I did all the dishes. And I put my washing on so it was all nicely done. I made sure that everything was tidy. Why? 
because I didn't want my wife to come home and think, what a slob. You see, because this is how us men sometimes love to live, isn't it? But when ladies are out, I had to try and sort of impress her. It was for show. I'm really a slob, even though I might have done all those things and tidied up and everything else. You know, it's a bit like sort of somebody who's on a diet, you know, and they sort of love to sort of go out to someone and say, oh, no, I won't have those chips. I can't possibly eat those. And then they go home and eat a Mars bar, you know, when nobody else is looking. Yeah. I can confess this to my wife because you know what I ate when I, was, when I get on the scales this week. And she says, what earth did you do when I was away for those three or four days? But I tell you what, there aren't many chips left in the fridge. That's all I can say. But anyway, you see, it, it was all for show. And sometimes as Christians, we're in danger of living our Christian lives not to please God, but just to please those around us. There's all for show. That when we come to worship, that we look as though we're really in tune with God by the fact that I don't know, we clap or we wave our hands or we smile away. It's only for show. See, that's the danger of the Pharisees. What about the Sadducees? Well, they're not quite so often mentioned in Scripture, but there is a different type of people. It says in Acts chapter 5 there that they were the elite, they were ruling class. They were, the high priest was always a Sadducee. They had the majority of the 70-man Sanhedrin were Sadducees. They loved things of this love. They loved political power. They loved their wealth and their status. And if you read Josephus and other historians of the time, they were very keen to collaborate with the Romans who were around there because they didn't want to lose their power. They loved the things of this world. Are we a bit like that sometimes as Christians? That although they had a religious faith, they were very much concentrated on the things of this world. Do you know, I love the little bit part people in Scripture. People that aren't really mentioned very much at all. Perhaps only once or twice. See, because we can learn from David and all the rest. But sometimes I feel a bit like a little bit part player. And you know, there's people in Scripture that aren't mentioned very much, but their names are there, not accidentally, not some sort of mention, but they're there to teach us a lesson. And there's a man called Demas in Scripture. He's only mentioned three times. Do you know, but one of the things it says about him is this, because he loved the things of this world, he left Paul's side, he left God's service, and went to live in Thessalonica. I haven't got a clue what Thessalonica is like. I ought to Google it one day and look it up. But I have visions of it being a bit like painting. You know, the sort of place where people go to retire, that they have nice bungalows with views out over the sea. And I'm sure he had a wonderful bungalow down in Thessalonica. It's probably not even on the coast, I don't know. I may be totally wrong. But Demas there, because he loved the things of this world. And that was more important to him than God's service. I'm sure he still was a member of the local church in Thessalonica. He probably didn't miss a meeting. He perhaps was even on the church council or the leadership team. But what was important to him were the things of the world. And secondly, what else do we read? Time's going on about the Sadducees as well. Well, we read as well in Matthew chapter 22. Oh, sorry, it's gone out there a bit, hasn't it? But it says this, that they say that there is no resurrection and that they are neither angels nor spirits. You see, they didn't believe in man's fallen state or life after death. We have a church next door to where I work in Southern Hay. And if ever I'm tempted to break the law, it's when I walk past that church. Because some of the things they put on there are absolutely ridiculous. They had a poster up last month, I think it was, that said this. It's the journey that matters, not the destination. Now, 
I don't know whether you look at that and what you think about it, but it made my blood boil. I wanted to go to the shop, buy a can of spray paint and write rubbish over the top of it at all. You see, because as Christians, we are going on an important journey of life, but it ends up in a destination of heaven. ends up in a destination where the Lord will judge us, that one day we will need to stand before him and give an answer to what we do. It's the destination that's important, as well as the journey. And what's more, they denied God's involvement in everyday life. Matthew 22, verse 29. It says to them, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Why do we pray? Why do we get involved? Because God is interested in our lives and intervening in us day by day. Time's moved on. A couple more slides to go. I don't know a lot about bread making. In fact, one of the things I know about bread making, in fact, virtually everything I know about bread making comes off the Great British Bake Off. And I tell you what, the reason I don't make bread, I don't know if you watch the Great British Bake Off, but those just, they're both made of bread. But they're not just they're amazing things, aren't they? You know, I can make cakes because I decided that's really just science for girls, isn't it, making cakes? It isn't sort of too difficult at all. But bread, I don't know. But apparently you need yeast. And what does yeast do? Well, yeast puts in and it breaks down the sugars in the dough and it puffs up. Apparently you've got to let things prove. I don't know what that means. But I know in Bake Off they cover them over and put them in the warming drawer to let them prove. And apparently that yeast sort of gets in and into the dough and just makes it rise. It affects every part of it. And Jesus says that's what it's like as well with this teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that if you believe it, it will infect every part of your life. And he tells them three times to be on your guard. And that's defined as being careful to avoid being tricked or getting into a dangerous situation. And that phrase is used 30 times in Scripture, that we must be on our guard. And what it's used is not a one-off thing, but it's a continuing action. It isn't something we do once and then that's it. Great, I haven't fallen into that trap. But time and time again, and it can happen to younger people, it can happen to older people. So how do we protect against it? Well, I love this little quote from G.K. Chesterton. Let your faith be less of a theory and more of a love affair. See, because the problem is that these Sadducees and these Pharisees, they made mistakes. And the thing is, they didn't believe the word of God. They didn't treat, or they treated tradition as being the same as scripture. But most of all, they reduced their relationship with God to a set of rules. And sometimes, you know, I think we are in danger of doing that. You know, it's a bit like, oh, I've done my 10-minute quiet time today and I've read my Bible and I've prayed. I feel good. I can go off now for the rest of the day and do whatever I want to. Do you know, I think my wife would have something to say if all I did was speak to her for 10 minutes in the morning and didn't speak to her for the rest of the day. She might feel like that sometimes if I'm watching the football in the evening and she can speak to me and I don't hear a word that she says. But, you know, what's a relationship? A relationship is wanting to spend time with somebody. It's wanting to communicate with them. It's wanting to please them. And that's what our relationship ought to be like with Jesus Christ. It becomes part of our life, part of our character, that we don't just reduce it to a set of rules and regulations. Let me close by giving you an illustration. That's not my credit card, by the way, because you can tell my name's not John Baker, but uh, there we are. I had a very unusual experience early on this summer. I went into a shop, and as I gave my credit card to the woman to pay, she put it into the little machine... And she looked at me and said, oh, I'm very sorry, Mr. Simmons, but your credit card has been refused. Now, first of all, my thought was, how on earth does she know my name? 
Is she a client? Is she go one of the churches I go and preach at? And I just suddenly felt my face going very red. I could almost hear the two people behind me in the queue sort of tutting away as if they said, fancy trying to buy something when you don't have any money on your credit card. And I sort of had that feeling of panic, and I sort of ruffled through my pockets. I managed to find £10 in the back of my trousers, and I paid for what I wanted to do, and I went home. And, I, and my wife's really financially prudent. She used to work for a bank, and you know, she, she knows every penny she spent, I think, since we ever got married sort of thing as well. And I was like, it can't be Val. But I looked at her and said, look, love, you, know, you haven't bought me a new Golf GTI for Christmas on the credit card or something like that. And she said, no, I certainly wouldn't be doing that. And she said, you better phone up M&S and find out what's happening. So I phoned up M&S, and the woman said to me, oh, she said, could you give me your last three credit card transactions? So I explained to her the last three times I'd used my credit card. And she said to me, oh, Mr. Simmons, she said, that's the problem. And I said, sorry? Oh, she said, that's the problem. That transaction was so out of character that our systems had picked it up as being potentially fraud. Do you know what I'd done? But we'd been on holiday, took Val's mum away for a week down to Cornwall. And I have this theory that calories eaten outside of Devon don't count. (laughs) It is a rubbish theory, but it makes me feel good when I go on holiday. I'd had Cornish pasties, I'd had cream teas, I'd had ice cream, I'd had chocolate, too many biscuits, everything else. I'd managed to put on over half a stone in a week on holiday. That's a good holiday, isn't it? And when I came back, my wife saw how much I weighed and she said, Phil, she said, you better get back to the gym. I had tried to pay a gym membership with my credit card and they thought that was so out of character that they'd stopped my credit card. I had visions of somebody sat there at M&S, McDonald's. He always goes to McDonald's, that's fine, yeah, no problem at all. Sainsbury's, cop. Mars bars were on special offer. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, we're going to... What? Exeter Golf and Country Club? No, it can't possibly have been him. We stopped the credit card. And I said to her, oh, I didn't realise you had a video phone. And she said, sorry. I said, look, I can't explain. I said, but you'll be appearing somewhere in the sermon one day. I can assure you of that. You didn't have a clue what I was talking about. But it was that phrase. It is so out of character that our systems were set off. You know, I wonder sometimes with the way that I live my life, whether at the end of the day when heaven sat there, Phil does this and Phil does that, that's just in keeping with his character. That's what he always does. Am I like the Pharisees and the Sadducees? That I make up my own rules that suit me and add them to Scripture and expect people to live by them? Am I judgmental and I put people down when I don't know the difficulties and the lives that they're experiencing? Am I like those Sadducees who care more about the praise and the Pharisees, the praise of man, rather than the praise of God? Am I like those Sadducees who only want power and status and wealth? And provided my Christian faith fits in with that, I'm happy with that. Am I like those Sadducees who perhaps once I've done my ten minutes of quiet time, I go off, I don't look for God's involvement in everyday areas of my life? Do you know the sad thing is, They ought to be kind and loving and forgiving. And when I do something wrong, that's when perhaps the warning buzzers ought to go off and say, that is so out of character. But the sad thing is sometimes in my life it's when I do something right that that's the thing that's out of character. Be careful for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
You see, it's easy when you read them in Scripture to say they did it wrong. They just got it so wrong. But the way that we live our lives day by day as Christians can sometimes so mirror the way that they live their lives of what they preached as well. Let your faith be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Amen. We're going to sing a song. If I can find it.